I have to be hopeful because I live this, I jumped off the cliff. I'm doing this on behalf of all the other women in the world who've never been heard from before. And every morning when I wake up, there are days I don't feel hopeful, but I look down on my wrist in a bracelet that I wear that says, be fierce. And those two words, they motivate me, whether I'm tired or whatever the case may be, and I don't feel like doing anything that day, they motivate me to remember that this is my mission. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. Welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is the show where I sit down for meaningful conversations with people who aim to build fewer walls, longer bridges, and bigger tables with their lives and work. My guests want to leave the planet better than they found it. And I truly hope today's conversation gives you hope and pushes you to give more dams than ever before. Now, this podcast releases on November 3 in the year of our Lord, 2020, one of the most important election days in American history. Friends, I'm not being dramatic when I say that. I don't say that lightly at all. I truly believe that. And for my friends listening all over the world, I'm sorry that I'm speaking yet again about the American presidential election, but this is big time. And depending on where you live around the world, this may affect you also. Four more years of Donald Trump in America will be virtually unrecognizable. Again, not dramatic, just real. Now, let me be clear. America has never been able to attain who and what America set out to be from the very beginning. America has never achieved America's stated vision and mission at all. But four more years of Donald Trump, and we, we will be set back way more than we already are. James Baldwin has this sobering line where he says that the horror is that America changes all the time without ever changing at all. Sit on that for a second. But before I get too preachy, because I have a lot to say there, let's move on. I want to stay focused. By the time you listen to this, it's likely that you already know who the next president is. So a few quick words before we jump into today's conversation. Regardless of who our next president is, this country the United States of America is so deeply divided, so deeply polarized. And as I stated in the last podcast, we all need to be healers and we all need to be healed. Let me say that in the right order. We all need to be healed and we all need to be healers. The real work begins on November 4, the work of building fewer walls, longer bridges, and bigger tables the work of focusing on the million things going on around us that a president, regardless of who he or she is, can never touch. The work of taking bold steps toward becoming a damn giver. Again, quoting James Baldwin, because I love James Baldwin, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Let me say that one more time. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So I hope you're with me. I hope you're ready to join me in giving more dams than ever before. I have so much more to say on this, but I'll probably do a one-off monologue show soon to share more thoughts. You didn't come here for my rants on the current state of America. You did, however, come for my guest this week. I can't tell you how honored I am to have spent time with this incredible woman, 
My guest today is none other than the incredible Gretchen Carlson. Now, most of you know her already, so I won't spend a ton of time describing who she is, what she has done, what she is doing, but a few things. Gretchen has had a stunning on-camera career that has spanned local and national TV alike. Her latest on-camera run was at Fox News. And as most of you already know, she boldly spoke up about the abuse she was experiencing from Fox Chairman Roger Ailes, Fox News Chairman Roger Ailes, and her decision to speak up ultimately led to the downfall of this puny, pathetic man masquerading as a media tycoon. There are so many things she can't say in our conversation about what happened and what's going on, what what has happened since then because of an NDA, so we stay pretty surface level. But it is precisely because of that NDA, that thing that is preventing a sexual abuse survivor from speaking out and sharing her story in the abuse she experienced, that NDA is what ultimately led her to start Lift Our Voices last year, a nonprofit initiative dedicated to creating positive systemic change in the American workplace through the eradication of non-disclosure agreements for toxic work issues and mandatory arbitration clauses. She was named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, not the U.S., the world. She's the author of the amazing book, Be Fierce, which every one of you should read. It's fantastic. It's hard because it's her sharing stories of women that have been abused, and most of them have never received justice, but it's fantastic, and it's very informative. Read it. She also just launched a podcast called Get the News with Gretchen, and she just joined People the TV Show as a contributor so she can continue to highlight stories of amazing women. And I love one of the things that she has plastered all over her website, and she says all the time, one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. Gretchen is a force to be reckoned with, my friends. I could have talked with her for hours, but we had some time constraints. So 50-ish minutes is what you're getting today. That'll have to do for now. We'll probably do it again some other time. So let's get right into it, shall we? You can reach me anytime and for any reason by texting 646-328-6414 or by sending me an email at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Now, here is my conversation with incredible human and damn giver, Gretchen Carlson. Let's go. Gretchen Carlson, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I do give a damn about being here today. And I'm oh. so glad that we, we finally got this going, Nick, because we've been meaning to do this for a long time. It's been a couple of years and you're, the, the, the team has been amazing trying to make it happen. You were off for a while. We missed each other in New York. We're finally doing it. I am so thrilled to speak with you. You're a hero of mine, a hero of so many. And I'm excited to dive in, not just to the, the things that make you super well known. I, I want to spend a few minutes here at the beginning before we get into the big stuff, right? The, thing that, the things that made you a household name. Uh, for better or for worse, I want to like go all the way back for a second. I always love with my guests, we're in the 170, 180 guests so far. I always love to go back and spend a few minutes on the beginnings, right? Because I think so much of what happens to us uh, when we're growing up, our parents, the influences, our aunts, uncles, siblings, the people and places and things that that shaped us into who we are today. So without giving you any more direction than that, can you spend a couple minutes uh, giving us a framework, a picture for where you came from. Yeah, thanks so much. I, I really love that question because I'm still blessed to have my parents in my life, actually, and they have been my rock and my foundation. And and you're so right. Like they they really formulated, I think, who 
who I became, the, the good, bad, and the ugly. But I grew up in a small town in Minnesota. It's called Anoka. Um, it's outside of Minneapolis. Its claim to fame is that it's the Halloween capital of the world. I know. That's pretty cool, right? And here we are, and, right, right, right a couple days before Halloween. I know. And and so Halloween was like a huge, big deal in, in my small little um, hometown. But it really was, uh, it's actually Lake Wobegon. If you've ever read any Garrison Keillor books, he actually grew up in my same town. So Lake Wobegon is actually Anoka. And, um, you know, I grew up with the, the Protestant work ethic. My grandfather was a, a Lutheran minister. My other side of the family, they were car dealers. And, you know, everything was just about family, love, and and hard work, to be honest with you. So I, I grew up knowing that um, if you put time into something, you got better at it. And that's how you learn discipline and self-esteem. So I started that early on with the violin. Like, just on a fluke, I started playing the violin, and it just, like, clicked and I became really serious really quickly. So as a kid, I was a concert violinist. That was like what I wanted to do in my life when I grew up, but my life has worked in really mysterious ways and it zigzagged all over the place. And um, so I didn't end up doing that, but I had this, I had this wonderful Midwestern upbringing that I credit to this day, my Midwestern sensibilities with getting me through almost any difficult moment in my life. Uh, we, we have a, we have one thing in common here. I wasn't born in the Midwest. I was born in New York, raised in Guatemala, but my first four years of marriage from 2008 to 2012 were in Minneapolis. Really? So I know, I know Anoka really well. Oh my gosh. And, um, we loved Minneapolis. I still, I'll never move back there. Not for any terrible reason. It's just not home, but man, I loved those four years. I still have such fond memories of Minneapolis and, uh, I spent, I would make excuses every Saturday night, not excuses like lying to my wife, but I would always make an excuse to go out on a drive on Saturday night to listen to Prairie Home Companion uh, with Garrison Keillor. Cause I just wanted to, I wanted to drive around and listen to it. Like I wanted to be in the car driving around listening to it. So we could probably talk for it. We won't, but we could probably talk for hours about Minneapolis and Minnesota and the surrounding area. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. It is. And, and you know, it's really interesting that you say that because people who who have never been to Minnesota, they're like, oh gosh, you know, it's like the wild west and and it's just way too cold. And then they come to visit or they move there and they don't want to leave. Yeah. It, you know, so so that was that was my upbringing. But you know, I did leave when I was 17 and I've never lived there full time since. And it's just it's not really because I don't want to, it's because my television career took me in a direction where I really wanted to try to achieve as much as I could and that was going to be Los Angeles or New York. Um, and so there's really no reason for me other than family to to move back there. And it's so funny because I'm still a huge sports fan of, of all the Minnesota teams and especially the Vikings. And so early on when my kids would be rooting for the New York Giants, I'd be like, hey. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, you live here. Because uh, I just had this mindset like you have to be a Vikings fan. And my son, just to really get under my skin, will will bet me every Sunday. And he always roots against the Vikings. And until this year, he finally has the running back on his fantasy team. So I'm like, okay, they're, they're good. There you something. go. We're but mixing they, They're up. having a terrible season. So I don't know what that means. It, but that's, let's be honest, that's more seasons than not. Terrible season, unfortunately. I yeah. love the Minnesota Vikings fans because 
you know, uh, uh, yes, they've had some winning seasons for sure, but I love the diehardness. Like we moved to Seattle right after that for four years. And mm-hmm. I moved there the years that like Russell Wilson entered the picture and they like started to really like come back. So I was there for some like winning seasons. It's like, well, it's easy to be a Seahawks fan right now. Everybody loves the Seahawks, but I loved, I mean, yeah, so much about Minnesota. It's so cold. It's so, it's so, so many things. And, and, and the fans there, the Viking fans were just everything. They were so diehard about it. And I loved, I never got into it there. I'm still not, I'm not a big sports fan. I grew up in Guatemala. So football, the actual football soccer was uh, my sport that I watched and played. But um, I did love, I did love being around sports fans in Minnesota. They're really hardcore, really diehard. They are. are. And, and, you know, I like to say we're not fair weather fans. At least I'm not like I've stayed tried and true. Uh, We have another commonality though. My nephew is from Guatemala. Oh, yeah, my sister adopted a little boy from Guatemala about 14 years ago. And, That's beautiful. Um, and so they've been to, to the country as well. So anyway, we're finding all these similarities. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So when when was the uh, when did you first realize, at what age, and where were you when you realized, okay, I want to be on TV? Because most people know you from TV. You've been on TV for yeah. a few decades now, right? Two decades, three decades, right? Almost, yes. Almost. Uh, so, so uh, I was always intrigued by television because when I was spending all this time practicing the violin as a kid, you know, sometimes TV stations would come out and do stories on my competitions or, you know, just every so often I was, I was featured on something with television and I was intrigued by television that way from behind the scenes and how they put stories together. And and there's a lot of similarities. People will say to me, well, you didn't end up doing the violin in life. You ended up in TV. Like, how the heck does that happen? There are actually a lot of similarities with regard to performance. And so the way I equate it is that when, when the red light comes on on the camera for TV, it's like walking out on the stage to perform with the symphony. Sure. It's sort of the same feeling of being in front of an audience, even though you can't see the TV audience. And it's weird because that's my comfort zone that's all I knew as a kid. So I was, I was well-trained to be just enough nervous to be at my best. There you go. I think is really important. You still have to have some nerves, but doing TV like to me is, is just second nature now. And I think a lot of that came from my life as a violinist. Yeah. I understand that. Not, not to the depth at which you're talking about, but um, you know, I've done lots of these conversations, like 10 episodes in, I got connected with Rain Wilson and I've had Chelsea Clinton on a few times. And so I got to like be with some, you know, sort of bigger players as it were. And I've given a TEDx talk. So I know that feeling that's a whole story. Um, and just last weekend we shot the pilot for my TV show. So I'm doing like a hosted TV show, kind of a bigger expanded version of, of the podcast, right. Where we're going to tell stories of people giving a damn, but I remember I I feel pretty comfortable in my skin. I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm a type a, I'm very eccentric, very extroverted. So I've never like dealt with nerves. And so leading up to the TV show pilot, right. It was my true, like truly genuine, like a production company is putting a bunch of money into this pilot. It's a real thing that's happening in spite of COVID and all that, we had a, you know, pretty awesome crew that was safe and all that stuff. But everybody was like, are you nervous? Like, this is a big thing, depending on you, uh, using your ability to ask questions and talk to people and pull stories out. And I did not feel nervous. The way I described it was, it's almost similarly to what you just said. Like, I feel the weight of this. So it's Mm -hmm. not nerves. It's just like, holy shit, this is a big thing that if I mess up, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of, there's a ripple effect here, right? In your case, it's a whole TV studio. It's a whole bunch of stuff where it's like, if I don't 
if I don't perform right here uh, and do do well at what I'm I'm good at, what they hired me to do. So I understand that I don't feel nerves. I didn't feel nerves last weekend, but boy, did I feel the weight of like everybody's putting themselves at risk here to make this TV show. We're doing it right. all safe and everything, but there's money and there's people and tremendous talent involved to make this show go off. And now I got to do it. I got to do it. I know. But, you know, when you when you talk about that, it makes me think about how many great lessons in about life that I've learned from being part of a television production, even though I might be front and center, there are so many people behind the scenes that make it all happen. And, and that's why I'm always really grateful that I had all these years in the trenches, you know, that the television industry has changed so dramatically with, you know, like reality stars now become famous on reality shows. And then the next thing you know, they're on a national TV show that I like killed myself to get on for 20 years. <laughs> you know, it's like, it totally changed, but I'm, I'm always grateful that I spent two years in Richmond, two years in Cincinnati, five years in Cleveland, two years in Dallas, five years at CBS news, 11 years at Fox, because when I finally did get to wow. the national level, I would look ar around at all the people that it took to put on my show. And I'd be so grateful to them, number one. But number two, I'd done all those jobs. So I understood that I couldn't be in the position that I was in unless I had the editor and the sound person and the producer. And the, you know, the list goes on and on. And you know that now from your experience in radio and TV, it takes a village. And so um, I've watched people in the business not come up that way and therefore think it's all about them. And, and they fail. They ultimately fail because they, they realize that, or they realize too late that it's, it's about having this whole team come together. So anyway, I'm just passing along some sage advice to you as you, as you venture into TV, which I'm sure you already know that it, it, um, it's a group, it's a group effort, even though there might just be one person who's actually on camera. Yeah, no, that's a lesson I've learned in more ways than one, not just with the TV thing. Um, this whole, I was just talking with my podcast producer this morning, a guy that took, you know, took a chance on me when I started this show three years ago and couldn't really, I mean, I've paid for it all along, but couldn't really pay for it. This is before I was on a network and he worked with me and, and yes, like I, I told him again this morning as we were on a call, like, I'm so grateful that you didn't say, well, this doesn't all line up. Like, you're not that experienced. You can't pay me my like going rate. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go for it. And so, no, I'm not 20 something years into this, uh, but I am a few years and enough to know that it does indeed yes. uh, take a village. So many lessons there. I love that. Okay. So we have so much to get through in the next 45 minutes. I, um, we're going to try to do it. Okay. okay. You, you, you have so much to teach us and your, your, um, you didn't ask for this, right? The things that happened to you in, you, you, you really quickly spouted off all of these, you know, years that you spent going all over the country with these jobs, right? Then you finally got to this national level and some things happened in over the years that resulted in sort of a, I, I don't know any other way to exp explain it than like an explosion happened in 2016. You yeah. were put in the impossible spot of, do I keep shutting up like, everybody else has mm -hmm. um and or do i speak out and risk losing everything right because historically that's what happens and right. people know and, uh, and you'll get to share some some of the context here i'm kind of being vague at this point I, I expect that most people know what's going on at this point but historically you um you speak up about something that someone empowered did to you and you lose it i mean this is this is going on for for 
as long as history has gone on, uh, typically men in power have taken advantage of, of people that are not in power and they get away with it over and over and over again. It's been this like weird thing that we can keep seeing over and over again in history. And there have been, there have been a few blips on the radar. And these are these people that stand up and say, hell no, not going to take it any longer. I might lose everything, but I'm going to speak up anyway. So people can go back and look at your, your career, all the things you've done. We're not going to talk about that today because not that that's not important. It's made you who you are today. That's it's supremely important, but let's start what led up to, um, you speaking up a few years ago that ultimately led that led to the taking down the, the downfall of one of the most powerful men in media. I mean, it's truly, it's truly we're not talking about some sort of unknown company, uh, some unknown entity entity in the business world or in the, in the media world, we're talking about the biggest of the big. Um, so what sort of happened? What, what was happening in your life at the time that led to you saying enough is enough. Here we go. Well, first of all, I grew up a gutsy kid. So somewhere deep in my fiber, I learned how to speak up for myself at a young age. Not that that always makes it just easy to jump to the top of the line and be like, hey, I'm being sexually harassed. I can hardly wait to tell somebody. Um, because listen, as you point out, what, what typically has happened to women who find the courage to do that is that they promptly get blacklisted, demoted, and fired. And every effort is made inside companies to protect predators. Don't get me started on why culturally we do that. That's what I'm trying to change now. Yes. But that has been the MO of what has happened to women in the past. And, and we all know that. And that's why women don't come forward. And that's why companies probably secretly really love that because they pretend like they don't have any problems. So I, um, you know, I can't tell you all the details, which is the other part yes. of all the work that I'm doing. Yeah, just, and we'll get to make, that. Yeah. I want to make sure women aren't muzzled anymore, like like I am about not being able to tell you all the details. But people can go and they can see my lawsuit against Roger Ailes, former CEO and chairman of Fox News. My attorneys figured out a way to make the story public, file a public lawsuit. They can go and, and, and look at the details in the lawsuit. But the basic fact of the matter was that after I had killed myself to get to this national level, um, at Fox News, when I realized that that career was going to be taken away from me and it was not my choice, that I finally realized that if I don't stand up and speak up about this and say something, who will? And so I did. But I, I'm making it sound like it, you know, it was just like the night before. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think I'll make this huge, you know, mountain decision and jump off right. a cliff by myself without a safety net. This took a tremendous amount of, um, you know, forethought. I have to be careful with my words. Um, a tremendous amount of support from my family. Um, this was not, you know, I equate it to when you walk into a room and turn on a light switch. It's not like that. It's not as simple as walking into a room and being like, hey, I think I'm going to do this and now there's light. This takes a tremendous amount of planning and, um, determination that you're doing the right thing. Um, my parents were huge in this. I'll never forget the night they called me months before. They called me and we all cried together on the phone. And they finally said that, that Gretchen, we're behind you on this. Because, you know, let's face it, we talked about Minnesota. People don't sue each other in Minnesota very much. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's like this whole Minnesota nice thing. So getting my parents to understand 
what it was. And, you know, finally that night when they said to me, you have to do this, Mm. you know, we, we always want to please our parents. And I'm not saying that you should make every decision in life to please your parents, but let me tell you something that was huge when my parents said they were, they were with me. And then, you know, of course my immediate family, I didn't, I didn't tell my children till the night before I couldn't tell anyone except my husband and my lawyers. And, um, it was tough. They were, they were my paramount concern. And I had no idea, Nick, this is the thing, you know, hindsight is 2020. I had no idea how this was going to play out. Like what was going to happen the next moment after I filed this lawsuit, what was going to happen the next day? What was going to happen the next week? I knew what had happened to women before they were maligned. Um, nothing good really happened, but I hearkened back to this five-year-old little girl who learned how to stick up for herself and determined that if I don't do this, I don't think anyone else might. And, and I need to. And, that's, and that was it. It's so tragic that you felt uh, like no one else was going to do it with you and for you, right? Like you had to do it yourself. That to me is one of the most tragic things. I have worked over the years with uh, various kinds of survivors, you know, whether it's sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape, all like so many different kinds. And these are people that I love and cherish. And most of them I met after the fact and have come alongside and helped them. But it's it, in almost every case, it's the same thing. It is, they felt so alone. And even if they had people around them supporting them, their loved one, you know, some loved ones or whatever, a lot of them were hurt, uh, abused by family members. So that there was that, right? Like you have this blessing where you can, you know, you have, you know, your, your husband and your kids and your parents, right. That could support you. Some of the people I've had the, uh, I don't even know what word to call it, have been able to help, uh, through these things. It was their family that hurt them. It was their parents. It was these people close to them and feeling that way that you have no one to support you. And you brought up one other thing as well. Um, that, uh, that, this has this has happened so many times over and over and over again and now you're in the position where you you're not able to speak all the details right and so you 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 feel free at any point in this conversation to say we can't go there or i can't speak more into that but that sucks that Mm -hmm. sucks that you're in the position where you're having to measure your words you're the victim here you were the one that was abused and you have to measure your words and hold back like that to me is one of the biggest most egregious most horrible uh things about this is that you as a survivor as someone who has been abused by those in power can't tell it all right right? i can't shout it from the mountaintops so that's what i'm trying to change because what I learned, so so I learned so many things, you know, right away. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, first of all, that I survived. <laughs> um, you know, I survived the first night. I survived the second night. Um, I, my gosh, I was so thankful for other women who found the courage at Fox to talk to investigators. I mean, first, let me back up. They started an investigation. What? Like, we never, my lawyers and I never dreamed they would start an investigation. And, and then... Other women, I know they were so scared. And, and even if they only told 15% of what they knew, it was enough. So, you know, about 20 women, other women came forward. And see, that's what, that's what companies want you to feel like. They want you to feel alone. They don't want you to know that there might be other people. And that's exactly, I think, how everyone felt. And then once somebody, you know, pulled the, the pin out, they were all like, well, you know, maybe I'll say something too. And so then I started hearing from 
so many women all across our country from every profession and every socioeconomic background. And I was like, oh my God, this is a pervasive epidemic. I didn't even know that. This is what's happened to our culture is that we have pushed this under and away and we gave off this, this aura and feeling that women had finally made it, you know, and that we were finally equal and we didn't have sexual harassment problems anymore. And one of the reasons that this movement and cultural revolution, as I like to call it, continued is because the American public got freaking pissed off because they started hearing about these stories and they were like, I thought we had solved this a long time ago. And they realized we hadn't. And they wanted to learn more about it. And so I look at three things that kept the movement alive, which was the media. They finally started covering stories yeah. on sexual harassment. Four years ago, Nick, they would have never, I'm a member of the media and I can say, nobody gave a flying you know what, okay? Number two, the American public got mad. They wanted to hear more about it. And number three, social media. Social media helped ignite this firestorm where people could either put their name and face to their stories or they could be anonymous. And that, those are the three factors that have kept it alive. And then, you know, so I, then I realized, oh my gosh, this is not just me, it's everywhere. And I wanted to help these women. So then I wrote my book, Be Fierce, to give them a voice because nobody else gave a flying shit about them ever before. Yep. And finally they were like, would you please tell my story? And so that was really important to me. And then I was like, okay, how do I fix this? Yeah. Now that is a tangled web. Yes. And we're going to get into some, we're going to spend a few minutes here in a, in, in a minute on the things that you're trying to do, right? Like nothing is guaranteed, but you're, I think, in a, in a better position than ever because of the things you just mentioned, because of your own boldness, because of your own gutsiness that you talked about that you've grown up with, you're in a position to change things. You could radically change things, you and those that have decided to join you. You mentioned something a few seconds ago about people getting so fed up, right? And they were like, how are we still dealing with this? That's one of my, so I told you I, grew, I didn't grow up here. Um, after growing up in Guatemala, I spent six years traveling the world, finally came back here to live I still spend a lot of time traveling abroad, but I came here as like my primary residence in my mid twenties. And that's been one of the mysteries to me of how progressive America tries to tout itself, right? But America seems so, James Baldwin, one of my favorites, and he has this quote, he's speaking on the issue of race, but I think it's true overall. He talks, he has this great quote that says, you know, America is always changing, but America never changes, right? Like America, it always talks about these changes, right? Whether it's race, whether it's sexual harassment, whether it's all these things, we're always wanting to get better. And yet we never do, right? right. This summer, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, we're holding the same exact damn signs that women in Selma, Alabama held in 1960. 60 years later, same signs. That's not change. That's not progress. We have the intellect. We have the resources. We have the people. We have the manpower, the woman power. We have all the stuff we need to change, and we don't. And that's one of the great mysteries of the United States of America is that it we're is. always changing, but we never change. Right. Well, until now, um, I actually believe that this cultural revolution of uh, dealing with sexual harassment in the workplace and emboldening women to come forward led to um, the BLM movement finally being taken more seriously. Yeah. Um, I actually believe it played a role in, in other groups feeling empowered that their voice matters, like the Parkland school shootings. Those kids realized 
that their voices mattered, right? And so people started listening to them about that. And, and I, I see these parallel tracks running now with each of these different movements. They're so very different, but yep. they are so very much the same as well. And I think what I love about all of them is that I don't think they're going away this time. And so that, that gins me up every morning yep. to realize that I'm not doing this alone anymore, right? There's all these other movements where people are finally saying, this is going to stick this time. Talk about between, so this thing sort of, this thing blows up in 2016 and you're sort of day to day right now, figuring out how's this thing gonna play out. Hmm. Between then and when you started Lift Our Voices, this wonderful organization, what, what, what was that journey to that point? What were the kinds of things you were doing in between there that led you to, led you to the point where, cause again, you could have, nobody would have blamed you for, for uh, sinking back into obscurity and just just live in your life because yeah. you've already been through so much you you at this point are you know great at your so great at your job that you can get a job anywhere doing anything but you decided to like really to lean in right to go in to be a leader in this movement despite all of the kickback that you were getting from you know on all kinds of shit um what was that journey like from between 2016 and when you started lift our voices <laughs> busy um yeah i'm sure <laughs> It's so funny because thank you for saying that. I, I had a lot of you know friends who said to me, "You've been through so much. You know why don't you just spend more time with your teenage kids now um, and just kick back?" And I'm like, "No, because actually, if there's if there's been one constant in my life, it's been that I always go for it." Mm -hmm. And I saw this massive opportunity in front of me and realized that my voice could make a difference for all the people out there whose voice maybe wasn't as loud and clear. And that's what has been the motivating factor for me. It's not necessarily about getting Gretchen Carlson out of her non-disclosure agreement so I can finally tell all the details of everything that ever happened to me at Fox, although that would be great. It's really about doing this fight for all the people, specifically women, who don't have that same platform or the resources. So that's how I started out. I mean, I like, did I ever dream that I would be a poster child for sexual harassment in the workplace? No, that's not something that you aspire to put on your resume. But when it happened to me, then I was like, okay, so how am I going to change this? The first thing was I did write the book because I wanted to honor these women. Then I started working on the Hill to try and pass legislation. And that, that was, um, wow, that, that goes to show you how tough it is to pass a law. And we um, introduced it in bipartisan fashion. We're trying to get rid of the two ways that women are silenced in the workplace. I'm going to keep it really simple because it can get complicated. Yes. Arbitration clauses in employment agreements. People don't even realize they have them because they've been, they've been put in there to make all of us feel like, oh, yeah, that's a fair way to handle discrimination and sexual harassment. It's not. So basically what it means is you can't go to a jury. You don't get that, even though that's your Seventh Amendment right. You have to go to this secret chamber called arbitration. And that's how companies keep their problems and their dirty laundry secret. So I'm trying to change that through legislation on the Hill because giving women that voice and taking them out of secrecy will help to solve this problem. So that was the first thing that I was doing. And then I was speaking all over the country, just trying to educate people about this. And then I did a college campus tour because I really wanted to get to our young people. Then I set up the Gift of Courage Fund where I monetarily was, was creating the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative to help un, underserved women all throughout the country, where they could come to seminars that I put on, where they could get free legal help and they could build self-esteem and they could get help if they were being harassed 
on the job. I was incredibly proud of that because nobody else has cared about those women. They mm -hmm. just, they just haven't. So all of this work then morphed into creating organically the nonprofit Lift Our Voices. And the impetus for that was that last fall, NBC was under fire after the Matt Lauer story and, yep. and other things. And they made an announcement that they were going to let their women there and men who had signed non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, out of them. And a group of us at Fox got together, all of us who had filed lawsuits against Fox, and we said, well, if they're going to let them out, we're going to demand that Fox let us out. And so we put together letters. We demanded to be let out of our NDAs. And we got a lot of media attention about that, although no response from Fox. And then that organically just led into, you know, we should really create an organization about this because nobody else is doing this work. And so now I merged my arbitration work into my NDA work, and it's all under the umbrella of Lift Our Voices. If we can eradicate those two silencing mechanisms in the American workplace, we will change the American workplace for forever. And so our mission now is to educate companies about how detrimental these clauses are to women. And by the way, companies just want to retain women in the workforce, especially now during COVID. I think I saw a number yesterday. American workplace has lost 800,000 women since COVID started. And, and one of the ways we lose them is through sexual harassment because they just disappear and they're silenced for forever and ever. So this is the work that we're trying to do to change that. And, and we've had great victories, you know, so far along the way. So I read, uh, I reread your book, Be Fierce, a few weeks ago in preparation for this fantastic book. I mean, the story, and I say fantastic in a, a weird roundabout way, because it's, it's full of bad news. Like it's full of just the reality of what women, it's wild that, I mean, women have had to do this for forever, right? This, they, they have, they have been subjected to all types of abuse. I, I'm in the middle of reading, um, Sapiens by Yuval Harari, this amazing history of, of the world, the history of the, the of, of, of everything. And in it, he talks about, I mean, from as far back, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of years ago, it was still the same thing. It was still, there's, there's all these proof, different stories and different writings and anecdotes and maps and this and that of the same kind of thing. And he, he throws out different theories for why, you know, men, be, you know, became the dominant, uh, sort of species. We've, how did that happen? How did they become the sort of dominators of women and children? And I have this in air quotes for those of you that can't see the we the weaker, the weaker, you know, the weaker gender, right? Um, how did that all happen? It's, it's, and it's still a mystery. People have theories, uh, people have ideas, but somewhere along the way, men uh, started taking advantage of women. And it sucks and it's horrible and it's wild that it's still happening today. Like in 2020, with all that we know, with all that we, uh, all the resource, all the time, we can look back at history and see how many times that hasn't worked and how many times these uh, people in power have, have, I mean, their legacy is just shattered. It's ruined. It sucks. And yet they're still trying to do it today. They still think they're going to get away with it. Right. And your book just has these, uh, again, these stories of women that you've talked to women that have been hurt and maligned and abused uh, by those in power. So what I'd love for you to do is spend a couple minutes sort of describing how big this is, right? Because again, a lot of people might say, you know what, you know, a lot of women out there might listen and I've heard them, I've interacted with them. 
like, uh, and, and men as well that have said, you know what, that, that it's not as big as people say that it is. My boss has always been great. Never touched me, never looked, you know, that never looked sideways at me. So I think women, uh, many of these women, they'll never say all of them, but many of these women are in it for the money. They're in it for the fame. They're in it for their 15 minutes of fame, which is just, just horseshit. When you think about all that comes along with putting your story out there, right? right. How big is this thing, Gretchen? Like how, how often does this happen? How big is this thing? So the way I like to describe that is that every woman has a story. Almost every woman does. And really what I'm trying to work on, on the research side of things for Lift Our Voices is to quantify exactly how many women that is, because nobody's ever cared enough to do research on this. So we don't really have all of the facts, but I can tell you from the thousands of women who've reached out to me that um, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, it's fast food workers, it's police officers, it's firefighters, it's members of our military, it's Wall Street bankers, it's lawyers, it's doctors, it's airplane mechanics, it's teachers, it's, I mean, every- It's presidents, it's presidents. Yes, presidents, oh yes, well, yes, lest we forget that. Um, yes. And, and so, in fact, that's the number one question I always get is how can, how can Donald Trump be president with the allegations that he had against him and the way he, in which he treated women and we're watching CEOs of companies fall? How can that happen, Gretchen? And I'm, you know, it's not a private company. The uh, becoming the, the president of America is left up to the voters of America. I mean, don't get me started on whether or not we should look at human decency over policy, but I believe we should. And that's what I'm trying to teach my kids. But without getting into politics, other than to say a very important point, which is sexual harassment is apolitical. So number one, almost every woman has a story, unfortunately. Number two, Harassment is apolitical, and that's why we should all care about trying to fix it. And, and what I point to about that is when somebody decides to use their power against you and sexually harass you, they don't ask you what political party you're in. Because mm-hmm. you know what? They don't care. This is all about power. And that's why we as a nation, especially in this hyperpartisan time, should be able to come together and try to work on this and solve something for women. I think that this is something that would move us forward leaps and bounds once and for all. So those are the two biggest lessons that I've, that I've learned from this. Um, number three, it's a tangled web to fix. Um, that's why I'm so incredibly busy now, more busy than I was when I was doing a live television cable show every day. I mean, now I'm working on all this advocacy. I'm writing books. I'm giving speeches. I'm doing talks. And I'm doing my television job. And I just started a new podcast. Um, so I'm, I'm extra busy. but even though it's a tangled web through Lift Our Voices, we actually believe we have a silver bullet solution, at least the beginning. And that's what I was talking about earlier is to eradicate these silencing mechanisms. So for people who say, oh yeah, women just wanna be famous, in, in, incredibly, the president actually said that. Um, listen, I'm the first one to tell you that there's nothing good about coming forward. Hmm. Up until, now where women are actually being believed. But when I did what I did and when thousands of other women have tried to have their voices heard, there's been nothing good that's happened to them. Nope. They're maligned, they're made fun of, they're called whores, they're said, you deserve it, you asked for it, it must've been what you were wearing. I mean, everything, right? Except, oh, maybe she's telling the truth. So the idea that people would risk everything 
and careers they've killed themselves for and trying to support their families to come forward to make something up, that's a very small percentage of these stories. Yeah, that's and that's the sucky thing is that for every Gretchen Carlson who stuck her neck out there and put her story forth and not and I'm not even going to even begin to imply that most people believe you. I'm sure you've you've had your fair share of people not believing all of that, right? <laughs> See my we, social media that, if you want to get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But for every Gretchen Carlson who is believed by and large and who has you've been able to rally so many people, right? Men and women alike, uh left and right and everything in between to tackle this issue, there's been a million women that were not believed, that don't have a job anymore, that are called all those names. Like, that's the tragic part. It's like, we're seeing, I think you're right. Something's different about now versus 1960, you know, holding the same signs at the protests, right? I think there is something different now. There are more resources than ever, more ways to get involved than ever. And people are motivated. They're seeing that their voice actually matters and actually counts. But despite all of that, for every Gretchen Carlson, there's still a million or 10 million. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. There are untold numbers of women that are not believed. Right. And, that, and that, that's like number five. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you, but no, go it's for it. really, really important that of all of those thousands of women who've reached out to me, 99.9% of them never work in their chosen profession ever again after coming forward. And that is outrageous. And, and that alone is what propels me on a daily basis to keep this movement going. Because what have they done except summoned up the courage to do what was right? And, and our society rewards them with saying, you will never work again. That's what happens to them because they go to HR, hypothetically, they finally get the courage to complain. If they have an arbitration clause, HR goes, Phew. No one will ever know about this because we're going to keep it secret. We force her into arbitration. We protect the predator. Maybe she gets some sort of a small settlement. I won't even go into how arbitration doesn't help you benefit with any of that. Now you go out and you try and get into the workforce, okay? Now your prospective new employer says, well, could I get a reference from your old employer? And you say, um, no, 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 that, 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 that's not going to work out. Well, why? Um, I can't tell you. Well, why not? Um, well, because, you know, I, I, I just can't get into that. Well, so now that employer automatically thinks, wow, she must have done something really bad at that last job because we can't get a reference from that, from that particular employer and she can't tell us what happened. So what happens? She never works again. Whether you're a fast food worker or you're a VP of a company, you don't work in your chosen profession. And as Americans, we should not be okay with that. I am not okay with that. And that is why I work every single day to try and make this world safer for women and men in the workplace. And as I'm looking at your face, which is a male, I just want to make sure that I say that we need you. We mm -hmm. need men to help us. It's, it's number six or whatever number I'm up to. It is so crucial that this is not a male bashing exercise. All the work that I'm doing is actually to invite men into the conversation to help us. Because as long as men still run the majority of Fortune 500 companies and still do the majority of hiring of women, they need to understand how detrimental this problem is and how if they actually change the way they lead and they actually celebrate women who come forward and bystanders who come forward, that they actually retain women then in the workplace. That's all women wanna do. They wanna be able to work that's it. And instead, what we do to women is when they come forward, 
We put them out to pasture. No, what should happen is women should come forward. The company should have a policy that embraces them coming forward. They do an outside investigation. If the claims are proven to be true by an independent person, the woman gets to keep her job. The predator goes. Now you don't need settlements. You don't need women to sign non-disclosures. You don't throw them into arbitration. No, because now they're still doing their job. That's where we have to get to. And I don't, you know, it sounds so simple when you actually explain it that way. But as you've been talking about during this podcast, changing culture and the way we've thought about things for centuries, it's really, really, really difficult. So, you know, I may have these very simplistic solutions, but incorporating them is difficult. I want to ask you this. Uh, I want to ask you about hope. I want to ask you about where and how you're hopeful. Um, I lean, um, I'm excited about how how things are evolving. I think, I think as you've already stated, there are really good things happening right now. And we have more opportunities than ever to give a damn and to make a difference and to demand change. But at the same time, I look at our current landscape, you know, we have, we've had a couple, we've had a few dozen, uh, like the highest office in the land, president of the United States. We've had a few dozen of them, all men, mostly white, except for one. And right now we've got this interesting sort of thing happening. Um, I, it's not a secret. I'm voting for Joe Biden, not because I think he's, he wasn't in my top whatever pick, but I think we need to get Donald Trump out of office for a lot of reasons. That's me speaking personally, and we won't get into my, you know, more politics right now. But you have this, you have the two people right now that we are, that are contending for the presidency of the United States. One has been um, accused of sexual assault um, and whatever. A lot of people may say it's been credibly debunked, blah, blah, blah. And that's a whole messy thing, right? Then you've got the other, our current president, who it's not one. It's so many allegations. You have him, you have, we have, because he's such a big mouth, you have so many things on record. Him saying to Howard Stern years ago, uh, you know, because I, because I'm the owner of this pageant, I can walk in on these underage girls, you know, while they're dressing. Right. You've got him saying that he wants to have sex with his daughter. You've got all these allegations that we're talking dozens at this point. So I want to be hopeful. I want to believe that things can change, but then you look at the highest office in the land and then you look at who's supporting this man for his reelection and you see millions and millions of people that claim to follow Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus of all people. Even if you're not a Christian, you know the person of Jesus and you see, you read the stories and you see the historical facts. And this guy, Jesus, was a good man that advocated for the marginalized and against the rich and powerful. And they're saying they follow that guy, but also want Donald Trump to be reelected. And so we've got this whole, it's very hard. Here's what I'm saying. It's very hard to feel hopeful right now in my mind that even on this topic that we're addressing today in the show, it's hard to feel hopeful that things are going to change because we have two old white men fighting for the highest office in the land. Both of them, one way more than the other, but both of them are credibly accused of sexual assault. So where are you finding, you know, all these things, I'm not telling you anything new. Where are you finding hope that things are changing and that we are moving forward and that all your work over the next 40, 50, 60 years is not going to be in vain? Well, first of all, let me go back to what I said earlier, that, that what you just described about the political landscape is exactly what I said earlier, that for whatever reason, there are millions of people out there who are putting their political beliefs and policies like tax reform, immigration, 
whatever it might be that they feel passionately about, they're putting that ahead of human decency. And, and I don't, I don't believe that's a great life lesson to give to our kids. Mm-mm. So I'll just, Mm-mm. I'll just, I wrote a New York times op-ed about it. I'll just end there on it. Otherwise we'll go down a whole nother rabbit hole. Right. But I have to be hopeful because I live this. I jumped off the cliff. I'm doing this on behalf of all the other women in the world who've never been heard from before. And every morning when I wake up, there are days I don't feel hopeful, Mm. but I look down on my wrist in a bracelet that I wear that says, be fierce. And those two words, they motivate me, whether I'm tired or whatever the case may be, and I don't feel like doing anything that day, they motivate me to remember that this is my mission. And I, I actually, um, even with all this crap going on, I actually 100% believe that we're going to solve this. I I believe that through Lift Our Voices, we're going to eradicate arbitration clauses and we're going to eradicate NDAs for toxic workplace issues, not company secrets. I want to be clear about that, but toxic workplace issues. I believe if we can do those two things, that we will significantly change the landscape of the American workplace. That's a huge statement. That is a huge statement. It will be easier to solve than pay inequity. Mm. And and who thinks that, that, like, what the hell? Pay the woman the same that you pay the man. I don't get it for the same job, right? But we haven't been able to do that. Nope. So I actually believe that my work and changing these two things, getting rid of them, will actually happen before pay inequity gets solved. And they're all intertwined. They're all intertwined. Because when you actually pay women fairly and promote them and put them um in, in higher positions, guess what doesn't happen? Sexual harassment. They're, yep. all, they're all intertwined. So I have to remain hopeful. And I'll just end my, my hope soliloquy on the fact that I have two children. I'm blessed to have a girl and a boy. They're both teenagers. And I have seen my courage transferred to them. And mm. that is what gives me hope on a daily basis. That we thought we had solved this in my generation, and we had not. But when I look in their chair faces, when I look at their faces and when I look into their eyes and when I see them doing courageous things that they say, mommy, I'm doing that because I saw you do it. That motivates me to keep going. And you know what? If I only changed those two lives, it would have been worth it. But it is so much more. And so it's for the future generations that I get up every day and roll up my sleeves and get to work. I love that. I love everything about what you just shared. Speak for 20 to 30 seconds, and that's a very unfair time frame. but speak to 20, 20 to 30 seconds to, um, I guess I could say men and women, because you know it, sexual harassment happens to both, but we, we know it's mostly women. Um, so, so I'll just say it this way. Speak to anyone listening right now that has been sexually harassed in their workplace. They're scared for all the all the reasons you know about more than anyone. They're scared, um, they've kept silent, they wanna keep their job, they don't want their life upended and disrupted. Um, and again, I know that's super unfair to say 20 to 30 seconds, but speak to them real quickly and give them a word of encouragement and maybe point them in the right direction. Again, our conversation will do that, but right now just speak to them. So know that you're not alone. As I said, almost every woman has a story. 
The company wants you to make you feel like you're alone, but you're not. In my book, chapter four is a playbook. I encourage people to rip it out and put it in their back pocket. Number one, gather evidence. You have to have evidence. Number two, call an outside lawyer. You can go to betterbrave.com and other organizations to get free lawyers to at least give you that initial advice. You must do that. Don't go to HR first. Number three, tell somebody. Tell somebody. You have to tell somebody so that you have another person who can vouch for you that you told them that on this particular date and at this time, this happened to you. And make sure you take all that evidence home. So many people have reached out to me to tell me that they gathered all this evidence. And then when they finally went to complain, they got fired. They were not allowed to go back to their office. And there was all the evidence. And therefore, they you know, went home and could never prove what had happened to them. Those are the top three and four things. And for other people who aren't being sexually harassed, you're as big a part of this equation as those who are. Believe people. Go to your HR departments and ask, do we have arbitration clauses here? Do we make people sign NDAs that shut them up? Because 60 million Americans have arbitration clauses and one third of all Americans sign NDAs the day they start a job. Go, you can go, you can get together, you can go to HR, you can make a change. And I'll leave you with this. My favorite quote is, one woman can make a difference, but together we rock the world. And that is what we're seeing happening right now is that one woman or one man's voice is so powerful and can enact change. But together, collectively, when we come together, that's where we move mountains. I have two daughters that are six and seven. And I'm so glad that they're growing up in a world where Gretchen Carlson is leading <laughs> the way and where Gretchen Carlson can inspire them to lead the way, right? Because it won't, I, I, I love your optimism that things are gonna change in your lifetime. And I hope, I hope to God you're right. But there'll still be work to do when they're older, <laughs> right? There'll still be work to do in 10, 15, 20 years to make this, um, to make this, this a reality where this doesn't exist anymore. Um, it's incredible. You mentioned earlier that you have a podcast and a show that you're on right now. Describe what those are so people can go check them out. Thank you. So I need to be a beacon of hope for all those women I was telling you about who never work again. You know, that's why it was so important for me to go back to what I love, which is TV and to venture into something new, which is podcasting like you are. So I am a special contributor for the new people TV show. And I'm so excited because people such an iconic brand and one that can be yep. trusted. And so um, I'm looking forward to doing stories about inspirational people for people. And then I just started my new daily news podcast on quakemedia.com forward slash Gretchen. Um, go check it out. It's down the middle news. We need down the middle news right now. So many people say to me, where can I just get the facts? And I'm like, my podcast. And that's actually what the idea was for my podcast for really not any opinion, but just the straight headlines. And, um, you know, with my personality thrown in. So quakemedia.com yeah. forward slash Gretchen. Thanks for having me, Nick. I I, I love this. I love this. Real quickly, do you have two? You have two more yeah, seconds. Of course. Because this is this is coming out on November three, election day, the biggest election of my lifetime so far. Just wild for a million reasons. I recently saw this uh, thing that you were in in the Lily online. Uh, Fifteen women sharing their first time voting stories. You shared the you shared the article with Latasha Brown and uh, uh, Judy Raphael and a bunch of other amazing women. Real quickly. What's your advice to anyone that hasn't voted before that is 
torn up about what's happening that doesn't know who to who to vote for like what what do you what do you encourage them right now again people some people are going to listen to this after election day because they you know save it up for later in the week but um yeah what's your advice to voters during, on this in this really truly historic election well, listen you can't complain about the outcome if you don't speak your mind i mean yeah. no matter who you're going to vote for and i think we're seeing record numbers of people going early uh to vote and i, I listen uh, it's a privilege to be able to, to, to vote in this wonderful, great country for the most part. And, um, you know, so, so go have your voice heard. I just said my favorite quote, one woman can make a difference, but together <laughs> we rock the world. That's what voting's all about. And one vote actually will probably make a difference in this election. So, so vote, um, you know, I, I, I used to take my kids with me all the time so that they would watch yeah. me vote. It's so important. And if you've never done it before, there's always a first time. My kids already at five, six, and seven years old know more about politics in the world and voting and just getting involved than I did. And I'm, I am not shitting you. Like I was 20, 22 years old before because my parents just didn't get involved. They already know they've been voting with us. Right. They've, they've been to marches and been to rallies. And so, yeah, it's so, so supremely important. Gretchen Carlson, you're amazing. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much for being with us and maybe we'll do it again sometime I that. Uh, when we're in the same place post pandemic when all this is safe again. Thanks for being a warrior for women. It's really, really important. And I'd love spending time with you. So thank you, Nick. My friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I'm such a huge fan of this woman. A massive thanks to Gretchen Carlson for joining us today. There's so much to learn from her powerful life and work. Visit letsgiveadam.fm for resources and links, and thank you all for listening. I'm truly honored that you come back week after week after week to listen to these conversations. I get these notes all the time, text, email, social media, DMs. I get these messages where people are sharing how the how Let's Give a Damn is affecting them, how these conversations are affecting them, how they're making them better, how they're provoking them in different ways. And I even hear feedback about things that where they disagreed with me or my guest, right? Please keep sending that because it means that you're listening and I love that. This episode was edited and produced by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Sound Off Studios. Let's Give a Damn is part of the Matter Media family. You can reach out to me anytime at hello at letsgiveadam.com or text me at 646-328-6414. Sending love and peace to each one of you. Stay safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now. <laughs>